0: Greetings, brethren. It's a privilege to be able to speak to you at the Feast. I think we all realize that the Fall Holy Days picture the culminating events in the plan of God. And that the Feast of Tabernacles pictures the return of Jesus Christ to this earth to set up the Kingdom of God. That is going to be one of the most dramatic, one of the most decisive turning points in the history of the world. We are here at the feast celebrating that period of time, the return of Jesus Christ. I think most of us are very excited about that period of time. But when we look into the scriptures, we find the world is not going to be so excited. If you would, please turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, beginning in verse 15. And here we see what the world is going to do when Jesus Christ returns and intervenes in the affairs of mankind on this earth. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Jesus Christ is returning to take over the governments of this earth. And he shall reign forever and ever. very positive statement. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. Jesus Christ is going to return and in power take over the governments of this world. But notice in verse 18, it says, The nations were angry, your wrath has come. The peoples of this world, the nations of this world, are not going to rejoice at giving up their power to a returning Jesus Christ and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints. That reward is going to involve reigning with Jesus Christ over the peoples and over the nations of this world. And those who fear you, your name, small and great, and you should destroy those who destroy the earth. When Christ returns, sets up his government, and invites his sons and daughters to reign with him over the nations of the world, the nations of the world are not going to be excited. They're actually going to fight him when he returns. They're going to resist this takeover. They're not going to be looking forward to it. One of the biggest challenges that we're going to face reigning with Jesus Christ on this earth, we read about back in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7. Here we see what Jesus Christ is going to do and what we are going to be part of and help Him do on this earth. In Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, a prophecy about Jesus Christ and a prophecy about what He was going to do in the future. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulder." He's going to take the responsibility on his shoulders of reigning over all the peoples on this earth. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The one who's going to bring peace to a war-torn world. That's what Jesus Christ is going to do. And of the increase of his government and peace, of the increase of his government and peace, There will be no end. Jesus Christ is going to set up a government on this earth that's going to bring peace to all mankind, all over the world, and we're going to help him do that. We need to ask, how are we going to do that? What is going to be the method? Is he going to come back and wave a magic wand and all of a sudden peace will break out? That's not what the Bible reveals. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2 and verses 2 through 4. Here we find another prophecy about how peace is going to spread around the world. And it gives us an insight as to what we are going to be doing in helping bring peace to this world beginning in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 2, it says, "...it shall come to pass in the latter days, at the end of the age when Jesus Christ returns, that the mountain of the Lord's house, or the government of the Lord's house, shall be established on top of all the mountains, over all the nations of the world, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it." The whole world is going to look to Jerusalem to find out how to live, How to find the way to peace. All nations shall flow to it or look to it. Jerusalem is going to become the capital of a world government. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go up to Jerusalem. Let's learn how they do things there. To the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways. Jesus Christ and the saints reigning with him are going to begin teaching the world the way to peace, the way to live together in harmony. For out of Zion, out of Jerusalem, shall go forth the law. The laws of God will be spread from Jerusalem. And these laws will bring peace as they are followed and as they are obeyed. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he, Jesus Christ, and his government shall judge between nations and rebuke or correct many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. The nations of the world will begin melting down their armaments and making instruments of peace instead of instruments of war. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The military academies of the world will be phased out. And a proper education, pointing the way to peace, will be established instead. This is what we are going to be doing. This is going to be part of our job in the coming kingdom of God, showing people the way to peace. Notice a comment that Jesus Christ made to his own disciples. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus Christ is discussing the fundamentals of Christianity, discussing the basic qualities that we need to develop as Christians so that we can be effective instruments in his hand. Matthew chapter 5, and in verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers. The word blessed means to be envied. To be envied are those who learn the way to peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. These are the individuals, individuals that learn to teach others the way to peace, are going to be called the sons of God. They are the individuals that are going to be able to reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God when Jesus Christ returns to set up his government on this earth. What I'd like to do is ask you a question as we begin the sermon today. Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? Are you growing in this capacity to help others find a way to peace? Are you developing the skills of a peacemaker? Do you know what those skills are? Are you developing and learning to use those skills? Let me ask the question another way. How good are you at pouring oil on troubled waters? How good are you at pouring oil on troubled waters? How good are you at soothing ruffled feathers? You know, when people get upset, they get all ruffled. Uh, You know, chickens in a barnyard do the same thing. When they get all upset, their, their feathers go up. How good are you at soothing ruffled feathers when people get upset? Or whenever you get involved with a conversation or get involved with relationships between people? How do they react? Do you see their eyes narrow and their their jaws get firmer? Do you see them getting upset because of things that you might say? Do you have a skill in spreading gasoline on smoldering embers? Or can you pour oil on troubled waters and calm things down? How do you become a peacemaker? Maybe some of us aren't the greatest at, at promoting peace between people. But how do you become a peacemaker? What are some of the skills that are needed to promote peace between people? Because if you can promote peace between two individuals, you ought to be able to promote peace between two different nations. Some of the skills are exactly the same. What does the Bible tell us? What does God reveal in the scriptures about a way to peace? Why we don't have peace today and the ways that we need to learn. Let's look at some of these skills that we find in the scriptures that God provides for us to show us the way to peace. You know, when God calls us, he calls us to come out of this world and to leave the world behind. We're to be separate from this world that we read in the scriptures. Second Corinthians chapter six verse 17 says, come out of the world and be separate. Why does God tell us to do those things? Basically, because the world is mixed up. The world doesn't understand God's way. It doesn't understand the way to peace. So God wants us to come out of this world, and especially at the feast. We are to gather together to leave our homes, leave our routines, gather in a place where God has said his name, so that we can have our minds focused on the future, focused on a way of life that leads to peace. God wants us to fill our minds at the feast with these subjects and with these concepts so that we can literally begin to think differently from the world and to think as God thinks. Notice why this is so important, especially as we approach the end of the age. Why this focus on peace needs to be discussed and understood. In Matthew chapter 24... The disciples asked Jesus Christ, What is going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How are we going to know we're getting close to the end of the world, the end of the age? Now, Jesus answered very specifically. He didn't dodge the question. He didn't say, Well, don't worry about the end of the world. You know it's going to happen, but nobody knows when it's going to come. He didn't say that at all. He gave a series of specific signs. He said, Watch for specific things. Jesus answered and said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. Many religious deceivers claiming to be representatives of Jesus Christ, claiming to be his ministers. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, I am a Christian, I am a minister of God. And they'll deceive many people. He also said, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's what's going to dominate the news violence, terror, bloodshed, suffering, wars, and rumors of wars. And he's talking about this on a worldwide scale. And that's what's dominating the news today. See that you be not troubled. In other words, don't don't get upset. It's going to happen. It's going to have to take place. Because human beings are going to go almost right to the end of their rope before Jesus Christ is going to return. Things are going to get bad. We're told that ahead of time. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. The word here for nation is ethnos. In other words, ethnic group. One ethnic group will rise against another ethnic group. There's going to be strife. There's going to be a lot of problems as we approach the end of the world, and that's what we're seeing today. Strife and suffering, nation, ethnic group against ethnic group and kingdom against kingdom one nation against another nation they're going to be fighting they're going to be at each other's throats nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes some of the famines some of the disease epidemics are the natural result of warfare when you destroy water systems you destroy a sewage treatment plant you destroy and disrupt food supplies people suffer People get sick. People die as a result of these things. But he said these things are going to happen. Some other scriptures, just very quickly to notice in Second Timothy, Paul writes about the events as we approach the end of the age. The apostles did not dodge these subjects. They did not, you know, kind of gloss over these subjects. They dealt with them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, But know this, in the last days, at the end of the age, perilous times will come, difficult times, troublesome times, stressful times. Men will be lovers of themselves. They'll be selfish. They'll want this, they'll want that, and they'll take it if they can't get it. Lovers of money, they'll be greedy, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. Other translations say callous, inhuman activities will take place. Without natural affection, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. These are words that the Apostle Paul uses to describe the end of the age. Not a peaceful time. A very difficult, stressful, violent period of time. This was all prophesied, if you go back to Jeremiah Jeremiah, the sixth chapter, Jeremiah is talking about the future, talking about what things will be like in the future. In Jeremiah 6, verse 14, he mentions in a prophecy, talking about false leaders and false teachers, false uh, prophets, says, from the prophet to the priest, even to the priest, latter part of verse 13... They have healed the hurt of my people slightly or superficially. They've plastered over the cracks. They've tried to sweep under the rug the real problems. Saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And when you listen to the news today, you hear about people praying for peace, lighting candles for peace, hoping for peace, agonizing for peace. A lot of people talk about it, but it's not happening. It's not happening. But this is what Jeremiah prophesied. People will be saying, peace, peace. They'll be talking about it. But there is no peace. If you turn ahead to Isaiah chapter 33, Isaiah, or turn back to uh, Isaiah 33, Isaiah prophesied pretty much the same thing. Isaiah 33 and verse 7. It says, Surely their val- val- valiant ones shall cry outside, The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. There are many sincere people in the world today trying to find the way to peace. But they're all going to be disappointed because they're not looking in the right places. They don't understand the cause of war and they don't understand the way to peace. But the Bible predicted these things a long time ago. Notice in Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, verse 8. Now, we are covering some very fundamental principles that people at the United Nations don't seem to be aware of. The Pope does not seem to understand. And many other do-gooders in the world don't seem to grasp fundamental principles that the Bible emphasizes and reveals about a way to peace. They don't understand why they can't find the way to peace today. In Isaiah 59, verse 8, God prophesied through Isaiah thousands of years ago about the human approach to peace. It says, the way of peace they have not known. The leaders of this world have not known the way to real peace. The way of peace they have not known. There is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. They've tried to figure out on their own the way to peace. And they've not found the way to peace. They've made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way or their way shall not know peace. You know, if you look back over history, just very quickly, in the United States or in America, whenever the nation was forming, the Colt Company made a revolver. And it was called the peacemaker. You know, when you kill your enemies, you kill your adversaries, it puts them out of commission. And it brings a temporary peace. But killing people doesn't bring real peace. The name peacemaker for a a weapon, a revolver, it's a good name, good selling point, but it did not bring lasting peace. Now you fast forward ahead in the Cold War between Russia and America, in an arms race, where we were stockpiling atomic and hydrogen bombs, the Russians were stockpiling atomic and hydrogen bombs, we had a mutually assured destruction philosophy. In other words, if we have a big pile of nuclear weapons, they're not going to attack us. And so we put billions and billions of dollars into stockpiling nuclear weapons. But it hasn't brought world peace. It kept... War away for a little while, but a lot of things were going on behind the scenes. In the years when John F. Kennedy was president of the United States, he had a secretary of state called Henry Kissinger. And Henry Kissinger made a name for himself with what it was called shuttle diplomacy. He would fly to the Middle East and touch bases with people in different capitals, try to get people to talk. They're still fighting in the Middle East today. Shuttle diplomacy did not work. We've watched the activities of several popes who've talked about dialogue. Let's get the adversaries together. Let's let them talk. Let's pray for peace. Let's light candles for peace. But we are not any closer to peace today as a result of all these efforts than we were 50 or 100 or 200 or 300 years ago. What we need to recognize, need to acknowledge very clearly, is that none of these efforts of human beings, whether it's a cult 45 peacemaker, or whether it's stockpiles of hydrogen bombs, or whether it's Popes declaring a day of peace and lighting candles for peace, none, none of these efforts have worked. That's why God said through Isaiah thousands of years ago, the way of peace they have not known. They've not known the way that brings real peace. However, the Bible does point the way to real peace. The Bible points the way. David understood this, and it's interesting that David is going to become the king over all of Israel. The nation that is going to set the tone for the entire world in the coming kingdom of God. David records the way to peace. The key to real peace. In Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verse 165. We find what the Bible reveals as the real key to peace. Psalm 119, verse 165. God says through David, Great peace have those who love your law. Great peace, real peace, have those who love your law. And nothing causes them to stumble. Nothing is going to cause them to fail. They're going to succeed in pointing the way to peace if they succeed in teaching people to love the law of God, to love the instructions of God, to follow those instructions very clearly and very closely. Notice in Psalm 34 an admonition that the Bible provides. And again, coming from the hand of David. Psalm 34 Verse 14. This is the admonition that we are given there. It says, depart from evil. Stop doing bad things, wrong things, and do good. You follow God's way. Seek peace and pursue it. Other translations say seek peace and pursue it earnestly. Diligently study the way to peace. Learn the skills that promote peace. Because if you can begin to promote peace between people, your friends, your relatives, your family, you're going to be qualifying to promote the way to peace. But you'll be able to teach people all around the world and bring nations together using the same principles that the Bible outlines. As Christians, we need to learn the way to peace We need to learn how to pour oil on troubled waters. We need to learn how to smooth and to calm ruffled feathers, not on chickens, but between people and between nations. We really do need to learn how to become a peacemaker. What I'd like to do in the remainder of the sermon is to look at some of the principles, some of the instructions that God provides in the scriptures that point the way to peace. Turn back to Leviticus, the 26th chapter. The chapter that summarizes uh, the blessings of obedience and discusses the consequences of disobedience. But notice one of the benefits, one of the outcomes of doing things God's way, of following his instructions. Leviticus 26, begin reading in verse 3. It says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, I will give you rain in its season. The land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last to the time of sowing. You shall eat the bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land. It's not some magical thing. It's the result of a way of life. It comes from living God's way. I will give you peace, that is, if you obey my statutes and keep my commandments. And you shall lie down and none will make you afraid. God says, if you follow my instructions, peace is going to be the result. You know, there's an old saying, when all else fails, follow directions. The Bible is filled with directions that point the way to peace. We could probably rephrase this old saying as to, if we would say, to avoid failure. To avoid failure, read the instructions first. You know, study the ways that the Bible reveals that point the way to peace. Try to implement those. Implement them in your family, with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your neighbors, with other brethren in the church, with people that you work with become proficient in using these skills that promote peace. Let's look at some very specific things. Let's turn to the book of Proverbs. And we'll go through a number of Proverbs that point the way to peace, that explain why problems develop between people. You know, interpersonal relationships are probably the biggest challenge that we face in life. How to get along with people that think differently than we do. How to get along with people that look differently than we do. How to get along with people that have different ideas, different approaches. Once we learn the skills of learning to get along with each other, we're going to be growing and developing skills that will be useful on a worldwide scale. In Proverbs 13, verse 10, we find one of the biggest challenges to living at peace with other people. Sometimes this happens when we don't even realize it. It says, by pride comes contention. If you can't get along with someone, you need to look at your own life and see whether or not pride is a factor. If you have an attitude where I know all the answers, let me tell you what you ought to be doing. A lot of times it comes from pride, of thinking that we know better than everybody else. It says, by pride comes contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. A person that understands when we're proud and it comes across, it's going to have difficult, we are going to have a difficult time getting along with people. But if they sense we're humble, that we're approachable, their reaction to us is going to be very different. Pride is very often a factor in our inability to get along with each other. If we can get rid of pride, we're going to be pointing the way to peace. It's a big factor. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Another fundamental principle, Proverbs 15, verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away or calms down wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours out foolishness. You know, if we answer people sharply or we approach people uh, in a very accusative manner, Well, I understand, you know, you said something that I didn't like, and I'm really upset about that. And I'd like you to be, you know, be sorry about that. Now, let's solve these problems. (laughs) You know, people are going to back way off if we come at them in an accusative way with harsh words and very pointed comments. But, you know, if someone has offended you or hurt you, if you come up to the person and say, you know, could we talk about something? Uh, Something has happened that I think is driving a wedge between us. Uh, I understand that you'd, you'd said something or at least somebody told me you'd said something about me that, you know, it really hurt me. And I wonder if we could sit down and discuss that and, and, and build some bridges and get rid of anything that might be between us. And if you approach a person that way with soft words, gentle words, as opposed to being in their face and, and hitting with something that, that really knocks them back on their heels... You're going to be building bridges, and you'll be pointing the way to peace. We've got to carefully learn how to use the tongue that God has given us. Sharp words create problems. Softer words, gentler words, being approachable, being humble, can go a long way to promoting peace. Proverbs 16, verse 27 and 28. Beginning in verse 27, it says, An ungodly man or an evil man digs up dirt, digs up evil things. If you're always looking for, you might say, the loose brick, or looking for the problem that a person has, and then bringing that up and talking about it, it's not going to promote peace. An ungodly man or an evil man digs up dirt, digs up evil, talks about it. It's on his lips like a burning fire. You can't think of anything else. you just got to talk about somebody else's problems. A perverse man, again, an evil man, a person that's off base, sows strife. When we talk about people's problems and always bringing up the, the, what we think are wrong things that a person does, and we talk about that to other people, we're sowing strife. If we gossip about people, a whisperer separates even the best friends. Did you hear? Do you know what he really does at home? Do you know what she said the other day? You know, we're sowing strife if we do things like that. Notice in chapter 17, verse 9, the opposite. says, he who covers a transgression, he who buries it, he who forgives, he who overlooks a transgression, seeks love. They're promoting peace, not strife. But he who repeats a matter. Did you hear? Did you know? you realize what they said? He who repeats a matter separates the best of friends. God has called us to become peacemakers, to learn and develop the skills that promote peace and not strife. And this is another fundamental principle. We don't talk about what other people do. We don't talk about what other people say. We don't repeat matters that don't need to go any further. Because all these things undermine peace and they promote strife. It stirs up problems. Chapter 16, verse 32, another principle it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit is better than a person that conquers a city. You're learning to control our emotions. You know, when we hear things about ourselves, when something offends us or hurts us, yeah, we tend to get emotional. Uh, you know, we start to boil. But we need to count to ten. And we need to count to ten again. And maybe a hundred. Maybe five hundred. The point is we need to calm down. We need to get a handle on the situation. We might need to pray about it. Go for a walk. Listen to some soft music. Uh, get our minds focused on the big picture. We need to be slow to anger. Because when we're angry, we're not going to be objective. We're not going to see the big picture. And part of being a peacemaker means to control our emotions, to stay focused on right principles, to understand God is in charge, to be able to forgive. All of this is involved in being slow to anger. Peacemakers have got to be that way. We can't be riled up. Proverbs 17, verse 14. Just a number of very powerful, positive principles for promoting peace that we need to really get a handle on. Proverbs 17, verse 14. says here, "...the beginning of strife is like releasing water." Or the beginning of strife is like just letting water out of a dam. "...therefore stop contention, stop strife, before a quarrel starts." If you see things kind of getting out of hand, you see people getting riled up, you need to start pouring some oil on the troubled waters. Say, look, let's 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 take a break. (laughs) This is getting out of hand. Let let's think about this. Let's pray about this. Let's give it twenty four hours. Let's come back and talk tomorrow. Let's calm down before we, you know, lose our cool, before we get carried away and say things or do things that we're going to regret. That's how a peacemaker operates. They recognize dangerous situations, and they take steps to calm things down so that it doesn't get out of hand, so that we don't react emotionally. We see where things are going. Therefore, stop contention. Stop it quickly before it gets out of hand and a quarrel starts. These are skills that we need to develop as peacemakers. Notice another principle in Proverbs 18, verses 6 through 9. And this may hit some of us between the eyes, but it's here. It says, a fool's lips enter into contention. If you get into arguments, the Bible says you're a fool. It says you're acting foolishly. You're not acting wisely. A fool's lips get into arguments, enter into contentions, start strife. And his mouth... Calls for blows. Or his mouth invites a beating. You know, you'll say things that somebody's going to wind off and hit you with. If you're not careful. A fool's mouth is his destruction. We've got to learn to use our mouth properly. And his lips are a snare for, of his soul. The world, words of a talebearer are as tasty trifles. And they go down into the innermost parts of the body. You know, words do hurt. And once it comes out. It's hard to reach out and grab that and say, well, I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. But once it's said, it's going to be harder to deal with. So we've got to be careful what comes out of our mouth. We don't want to act foolishly. We want to act wisely. Proverbs 18, verse 13. says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, before you hear the whole story, you jump to a conclusion. It's folly and shame to that person. You know, peacemakers have got to be objective They've got to be able to listen to both sides of the story and weigh situations before wading in with a solution, which, if we don't get all the facts, could be a wrong solution. And peacemakers have got to be cool. They've got to be calm. They've got to be collected. They don't want to jump to conclusions and act prematurely. Now, these guidelines are here for our instructions, for our help. Notice from Proverbs 18, verse 17, along the same lines, says, the first one to plead his cause or present his case seems right. You know, the first time you hear one side of the story, well, that sounds logical. It sounds like you're right and they're wrong. But the biblical advice is the first one who pleads his cause seems right until his or her neighbor comes and kind of presents the other side of the story. So, if we're going to become peacemakers, we've got to listen to both sides of the story. We've got to see the big picture. In some cases, both sides may be wrong. They may have something partly right, but they may have a wrong attitude. And the only way we're going to see that is if we stay calm and cool and and objective. And we ask God for guidance, for wisdom, to show us what we need to see and understand. Jumping ahead, Proverbs 27, verse 15. Proverbs twenty-seven and verse fifteen. <clears throat> it says, "A continual dripping on a rainy day." Have you ever been in your house on a rainy day and a downspout on the outside? You hear this drip, 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 and it kind of gets on your nerves. It's aggravating. It's irritating. It says. Uh, <clears throat> A continual dripping on a very rainy day, and a contentious woman, a person that's always nagging, and it could be contentious husband or man, they're just on the same thing all the time, coming back to this same issue over and over and over. I remember dealing with my dad one time years ago. A problem with a neighbor, and it did not resolve in his favor. And I think every time we visited with him over the next several years, he kept bringing up this issue because he kept rolling it around in his mind. And finally I had to say, Dad, Dad, it's over. It was over several years ago. But it was this continual thing. He kept bringing it up. And if we keep bringing things up, maybe something between you and your wife or you and your husband or you and your children or your t- between uh, you children and your parents, uh, we've got to look beyond these, these, these issues and focus on bigger things. A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious man or woman or child or whatever... Are all alike. Whoever restrains her or that person restrains the wind. In other words, it's very difficult. So these are things, again, we need to be aware of. Peacemakers don't keep bringing up problems. They focus on solutions. They focus minds in another direction. And sometimes when you're dealing with little children, you tell them, don't do that. And oftentimes, they'll do it anyways. And sometimes you'll even smack their hand or something and then they'll reach out. They know they're going to get smacked, but they keep doing it. How do you deal with a situation like that? Keep smacking? No. The better way to do it is distract them. Get their fo- focus their minds on something else as opposed to what they wanted to do that they're not supposed to do. Get their minds focused in a different direction. You make peace with your children. You can make peace with other people by doing the same thing. Proverbs 29 verse 22, Proverbs 29 verse 22. These are fundamental principles. An angry man or an angry person stirs up strife. Somebody comes charging into a room and you can just see they're breathing fire and the smoke coming out their ears. Uh, they're going to get a bunch of other people upset. Have you ever noticed with little children, if you a bunch of little children in a room and one starts crying, what happens? Often, two or three or four others of them start crying. Nothing happened to them, but they're crying because they heard some other little kids crying. It's infectious. If somebody comes into a room all excited and happy, other people can become excited and happy. In verse 22, it says, An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgressions will create a lot of problems. This is why we need to be able to control our emotions, get calmed down, focus on the positive, not on the negative, get rid of anger before we try and deal with issues and deal with other people. Angry people stir up strife. One of the reasons that Jesus made the comment, actually that Paul made the comment in Ephesians chapter 4, a biblical principle for dealing with anger. You know, you can take courses today and read books on controlling anger. But the Bible gives us some very fundamental principles. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. In fact, let's start with verse 25. It says, Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak the truth with his neighbor. You know, if you're not lying, you don't have to worry about what you said. You don't have to remember about what you have said. However, if you lie... You're going to have to try and remember what you said so that you you don't lie again or you don't get mixed up. But speak the truth. That's the way to promote peace with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Now, in dealing with anger, here's the biblical principle. Be angry, and it's not wrong to get upset over something, especially when you see something's wrong. But it says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You know, don't hold on to something, an offense or a problem. Don't, don't, don't let it roll around in your mind and think about ways, well, I'm going to have to get back at that person. What can I do to get back with that person? How can I hurt that person? This is not the way a Christian should function. This is not how peacemakers function. You know, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. If you have a problem with someone... The Bible also tells you, go to that person. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Go to the person. Talk with the person. You lay some things on the table, humbly, gently, openly. But deal with the issue. Don't let it roll around in your mind. Don't harbor it. Don't carry it around for weeks and years. Matthew 18, verse 15. It says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, and they may not even know that they've upset you, but go to them. Go and tell him the fault between you and him. You know, our tendency is today, if somebody hurts us, we go tell other people. You know what they did to me? Well, that was terrible, don't you think? And you build up a, a base of support. But you also spread problems. And you also undermine peace. Go to the person. Go humbly. Go gently. Pick the right time. And discuss the fault between you and him. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. But if he will not hear you, take one or two people with you. And again, not to accuse the person, not to force them into a corner, but just to kind of help establish the fact. And if he refuses to hear them, then tell it to the church. Go seek help from the ministry. And maybe the minister can go sit down with you and talk with the person and try and and work out a smooth uh, solution to the problem. doesn't mean go to the church and tell everybody in the congregation what is happening. That's not what it's talking about. That's not how God works. But these are biblical principles. In fact, as ministers, we should probably indicate to people, if they come to us and say, you know what they did to me? Our response really should be, have you talked with them? Have you taken this issue up with the person involved? You really should do that first. This is the approach to take. Don't spread it all around the congregation, all around the place where you work. Go to the person involved, especially if it affects you. These are biblical principles. Notice some other principles here in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, again, part of the Sermon on the Mount, fundamental Christianity. Jesus mentions here, In verse 38, beginning there. So you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. Somebody does something bad to you, you do something bad to them, you get back at them. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. In other words, don't make a big issue. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek also. That doesn't mean to stand there and allow somebody to beat you uh, uh, at their leisure, at their pleasure. The point is that you don't strike back at them. You're patient. you're willing to forgive, overlook some insults. Now if you can leave the situation, you can do that. But the idea is you don't come back and let them have it. You turn the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak also. Again, you don't strive to get back at them. You don't strive to get even with them. Whoever compels you to go a mile, go too. You to endure a little bit. Be patient. You don't create a big issue over things. Look at the big picture. You know, God is aware. God watches. And he has a way of working things out in his way and in his time. Again, we don't need to be taken advantage of. But by the same token, we, don't try, we, don't, we should not be striving to get even with someone, to get back at someone. This is how Jesus said we are to love our enemies. You know, treat them better than they treat you. That's how peacemakers operate. That's how they work. Another interesting observation, principle, that uh, Jesus Christ mentions. In Matthew chapter 6, we have the model prayer. It talks about we should be praying to God about his coming kingdom. Be thankful for our daily bread. But in verse 12, it says, Forgive us our debts. God, forgive us of our sins. God, forgive me of my transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us. In other words, it's a two-way street. We ask for forgiveness, but then we need to be forgiving. But notice, down in verses 14 and 15, after the model prayer, Jesus repeats this fundamental principle. In verse 14, For if you forgive men or women... Their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, if you harbor it, you keep it in your heart, you keep thinking about it, running it over in your mind, if you do not forgive their trespasses against you, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, we all sin, we all make mistakes. And we all go to God and ask God to forgive us. But do we forgive others? Do we harbor thoughts? Do we hold grudges? Do we keep issues alive that should have been you know, dead and buried a long time ago? Peacemakers do that. People that cause strife keep bringing up issues. Fundamental principle. Fundamental principle. You know, the fighting in the Middle East, for example, has going on for centuries between peoples over there who have issues with each other, that have not been able to forgive each other. Other situations around the world, issues have been kicked around and fought over for centuries. And all that fighting has not brought peace to the world. Matthew 7, another powerful principle in the New Testament for promoting peace and preventing strife. Matthew 7, 1, says, Judge not... That you be not judged. Don't condemn other people. Don't sit around criticizing other people. Well, you know, they shouldn't be doing that. You know, that's wrong. They shouldn't be allowed to get away with that. It's not our job to sit around and judge other people. Now, we have to make judgments from time to time that something may be wrong. It's not our job to sit in judgment of others. If someone someone comes and asks us, is this right or is this wrong? We can respond, the Bible says, this is right. It says, this is wrong. And we can make judgments about what's right and wrong. But we should not be sitting around judging other people. Well, their hair's too long. Their dress is too short. They're this, they're that. It's not our job to do these things. If you have a relationship with someone, it's not wrong to go up and tell them, you know, I've noticed something that you might want to think about. But not be spreading around a congregation or spreading it among friends. Uh, We're not to be judging and condemning other people. Verse 2, it says, For what judgment you judge, or with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. You know, if you're critical of other people, don't be surprised if people are critical of you. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Because it's easier to see. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank, that big thing sticking out of your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye uh, and look a plank is in your own eye? The Bible says you're a hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. Get your own life straightened out. And that's what we have to do as individuals. If we focus on getting our life straightened out, getting over, you know, overcoming our problems, instead of trying to point out other people's problems, we're going to be much more effective at peacemaking than we would be if you turn the situation around. Matthew chapter 20. Another interesting observation that Jesus made to his own disciples. Because they were doing things that were creating problems among themselves that they didn't fully realize, didn't fully understand. And it wasn't just the disciples themselves, it was the disciples' families. In Matthew chapter 20, we have the situation of the mother of... Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to Jesus Christ. And she was well-meaning, as a mother would be. And she said, look, I've got two wonderful sons, Jesus, and they have followed you. They're devoted to you. They're very loyal to you. And do you think that you just might be able to have one on your right hand and one in your left hand? You know, give them the two best jobs in the kingdom. That's what she was asking, really. And she wasn't, uh, I don't think, malicious in this. It doesn't come across that way. She was just a mother that was looking out for her children. But notice Jesus' response in verse 22. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. You don't realize the implication and the fallout that's going to come from this request that you're making. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink of? You don't understand what's coming down the road. It's going to be a challenge. There's going to be some difficulties. It's not all peaches and cream. It's not all going to be smooth. Are you able to drink of the cup that I am able to drink of and be baptized by the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, Oh, yes, we are. But they didn't understand. So he said to them, You will indeed drink of my cup. You're going to face some of the challenges too and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left Is not mine to give. Jesus understood he had certain uh, prerogatives, but he also had certain limitations. But it is for those for whom it is prepared. God is calling and preparing us. But notice the fallout of uh, uh, James and John's mother's request on the other disciples. Did it promote peace? Or did it sow the seeds of strife and envy? And when the ten heard the request that was made, they were moved with indignation. They were ticked off. They were not happy campers. They were moved with indignation against the two brothers. Who do they think they are? Why should they have the top jobs? You know, we've been around just as long. You know, we've been supportive. We've been loyal. Why should they get a better job than we get? You know, the idea of focusing on getting ahead of others. You know, if I do this and I do that, I'm going to be noticed, I'm going to be promoted, uh, I'm going to get a better reward. This doesn't promote peace. It promotes strife, it promotes envy, uh, it creates problems. You know, these are some of the things we need to get over. We need to get over this attitude of, you know, seeking a better position for ourselves. Peacemakers don't do that. The fruits are not good. In Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, Romans 12 is kind of a thumbnail description of what real Christianity is all about. If we begin in verse nine. Paul is talking here. He says, "Let love be without hypocrisy." Now, there needs to be real, unselfish, outgoing concern for the people that we deal with, abhor, uh, get away from anything that is evil. Cling, hold on to what is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another. You know, care for people and let that come out. Let that show. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. This is how real peacemakers operate. In honor, giving preference to the other person. In other words, showing respect to the other person, not trying to put the other person down. Verse 14, bless those that persecute you. Treat them gently. Treat them with respect. It may be hard sometimes, but do it, the Bible says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Don't try and get back at them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Try and be understanding with people that have problems. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things trying to get ahead of other people. But associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Don't let pride come into the situation. Repay no evil for evil. Don't try and get even with people. Have regard for good things. Focus on what's right in the sight of all men. Verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, with all women, with everyone. It says, as much as depends on you, go the extra mile. Be forgiving. Be understanding. This is the way that promotes peace. And when you're acting like that, people will want to be around you because you will be at peace with yourself. And they will see you trying to be at peace with others. James summarizes this in a very interesting way. In the third chapter of James. James. <clears throat> In chapter 3 of James, he's talking about the use of the tongue, how it can be used to create problems. It can be used to pour oil on troubled waters and smooth, rough, ruffled feathers. In verse, th- verse 13 of James, he said, Who is wise and understanding among you? And who is really converted is what he's saying. Let that person show by good conduct or good behavior how you live your life, that his works are done in meekness, in the meekness of wisdom. You're thinking about what you're doing. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against truth. This wisdom or this type of behavior or activity does not descend from above. It doesn't come from God. Self-seeking, bitter envy, putting other people down. So this is not of God, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. This type of thinking, this type of activity. Well, I'm going to get even with so-and-so. I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to tell you what they've done. This doesn't come from God. It comes from another source. From the devil. From Satan. That's how he operates. For where envy, self-seeking exists, confusion, every evil thing will be there. But in verse 17, he says, But the wisdom that is from above... You know, the attitudes that come from God. Peacemaking attitudes. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. It focuses on what's good. It focuses on what's right. It focuses on sound principles. It's calm. It's understanding. It focuses on what's pure. Then it's peaceable. You know, you're at peace with yourself. You're striving to be at peace with others. You treat people gently, not harshly with humility as opposed to accusations, willing to yield, you're approachable. Someone can come to talk to you and you don't jump to the conclusion where well, you're in a bad attitude and you kind of put them down that way. Willing to yield, willing to listen. You don't have to agree with someone, but at least listen. You allow, allow them to say something, allow them to, to express themselves. Full of mercy, You're not taking up some big regime where you're going to make them do all kind of things, all kind of penances and everything else. But full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality. Can people come to you and realize you will listen without partiality? You already have your mind made up of what's right and what's wrong with a person. And without hypocrisy, you can't be saying one thing and doing something else. Or saying one thing and people see you do something else. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. Your righteousness, all thy commandments are righteousness, David said in the Psalms. Psalm 119, verse 172. The fruit of righteousness, the fruit of living by God's word, the fruit of following God's instructions, is sown in peace by those who make peace. And you know, people that are living by... And promoting the ways of God are promoting peace. They're promoting the way to peace. And it's a way this world does not understand. Now, James is talking about the fruits of God's Spirit. He's talking about exercising the fruits of God's Spirit. And it's the fruits of God's Spirit, then, that point people to a way of peace. Notice in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 where Paul describes the fruits of the Holy Spirit and the works of the flesh. And when you look at the problems that people face in the world today, it's largely because they're being influenced by a different spirit. Not a spirit of God, but the spirit of this world. Verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, sexual sins, idolatry. Worshipping other things as opposed to the real God. Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. They're not controlling their temper. That's why we have problems today in the world. That's why we don't have peace. Because this is the spirit that dominates the world today. But in verse 22, Paul describes the fruits of God's spirit. We receive that spirit upon repentance. On making a commitment to God. Of being baptized. Having hands laid on us receiving, nourishing, and being led by God's Spirit, wanting to do things God's way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, where you really care for people, joy, you're positive. I'm not talking about some manufactured Pollyanna attitude. But you value the truth. You value your calling. You appreciate the fact that God is working with you and has opened your mind to understand. Another fruit of God's Spirit is peace. You have a peace of mind. You understand the plan and purpose of God. You understand that God is in charge, that He's working out a plan and purpose on this earth, and that you can be part of that plan and purpose, that you can prepare to become a peacemaker, to be able to work with people all around the world. You've got to be at peace with yourself before you can be at peace with others. And that is one of the fruits of God's Spirit. This is why we need to learn to use... God's Spirit, because it is that Spirit that leads us towards the way to peace. Brethren, the Feast of Tabernacles pictures a time when Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth as the Prince of Peace and as King of Kings to set up a world government on this earth. We have been called to be part of that government. We have been called to become peacemakers, to learn the way to peace so that we can show the world the way to peace. When we have the opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ on the face of this earth, I'd like to urge you while you're here at the feast this year to take some time. You go off by yourself, sit down, go over the notes of the sermon, whether it's in the morning just after you get up while you're praying, or in the evening before you go to bed, or sometime through the day when you have some downtime. Take some time, examine yourself, ask yourself, Are you a peacemaker? Do you promote peace within your family, with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your friends, with your neighbors, with brethren in the church? Are there things that you have, or do you have problems with someone? Think about the best way to handle it. Go talk with them. Strive to develop and promote peace. Are you a peacemaker? Or when you get involved with discussions and Relations with other people, the sparks begin to fly, jaws set, eyes narrow. How do people react whenever you come around, when you join a conversation? Review the notes that we've gone over. Look at the skills that the Bible talks about peacemakers need. Ask yourself, do you have those skills? Are you developing those skills? Work on those skills. Brethren, if we want to become the sons and daughters of God, if we want to rule with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God, we have got to become peacemakers. We've got to develop the skills that peacemakers need to bring peace between people, within families, within neighborhoods, within congregations. Because if we develop those skills, working with people now, in individual situations, we're going to be able to work with Jesus Christ to bring peace to this world. Brethren, let's make it a goal and priority in the coming year to strive to become more effective peacemakers. And let's begin at the feast. Let's look for things that we can do while we're here at the feast to promote peace.